Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Insurgents podcast. And I'm really jazzed today because I have with me once again the very, very first conversation partner, Jeffrey Denzel Harley. Denzel is in the house again. You pray for rain, you got to deal with the mud too. Amen. <laughs> How are you insurgents out there doing? Well, if you don't recognize that quote, that is a Denzel Washington quote. Today, we have five questions from listeners that have come in, and these are topics all of the topics that I'm going to talk about that we're going to discuss, they have been addressed before in the book Insurgents Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. They've also been addressed in previous episodes of this podcast, but we don't like to repeat ourselves, so there's always more to say about each subject. And so consequently, we're going to tackle this maybe from a different angle, but if you want to broaden what we say about it, you want to expand it, then we encourage you to get the book, read it, and also go through all the other episodes. Are you ready, uh, Denzel? I'm ready, brother. Let's make it rain and we'll deal with the mud, too. <laughs> all right. Let me tell you where these questions have come from. I wrote a post on social media last week, and it went like this. To profess Jesus is Lord is to renounce nationalism and, I put and in all caps, globalism. To profess Jesus as Lord is to renounce nationalism and globalism. When the true gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed, it outrages the progressive left and infuriates the conservative right. And those who have read the book and have listened to the podcast episodes, they understand that statement and double-clicked on it. But for those who have done neither, it raised a lot of questions. And here were five questions that came out based on that comment. One, what is nationalism and why is it contrary to the gospel of the kingdom? Two, what is globalism and why is it contrary to the gospel of the kingdom? Three, why would the gospel of the kingdom anger the progressive left since they are for the least of these and the poor? Four, why would it upset the conservative right since the kingdom message calls for repentance from immorality, abortion, and other sins? And then five, I'm seeing a lot of hatred coming from Christians, the same as people in the world, over politics and social matters. Mm. And I am appalled by it. Can you speak to this? All right, so those are the five questions, and I think probably the best way to tackle this is to take them one at a time. Amen. All right, so before I start out with the first question, what is nationalism and why is it contrary to the gospel of the kingdom, I want to read a quote from a transcript that I have way back in the year 1939. I usually 
share a principle and then give an illustration. But Jeffrey, today I want to give an illustration by sharing this quote and then give the principle <laughs> and dig into the question after. But back in 1939, there was an event that took place, which was pretty remarkable. Uh, of course, before our times, way, way before our times, mm-hmm. there was every year in Keswick, England, a conference called the Keswick Conference. And it was a deeper Christian life conference. And they had the best speakers of the time who were dedicated to deepening the spiritual life. And in this particular Keswick Conference in 1939, two of the world's spiritual giants, I would say greatest spiritual giants, attended this conference. Now, they did not speak. They just attended as visitors. Mm. One of them was T. Austin Sparks, and the other was Watchman Nee. Wow. And they went together. And... I don't know how I got this. I received it many, many years ago, even before we had the Internet. And it's the transcripts of all of the messages at that conference. And i got to tell you, when I look at the depth Mm. of the speakers, brother, and what they spoke on, and I compare it to what's being preached today (laughs) in conferences, I mean, what's being preached today in your typical Christian conference Mm -hmm. across the board is so shallow that you can't even drown a flea in it compared to what these people were bringing. But I'm going to read the the last page of the transcript of the conference because I think it's a great illustration of that which transcends nationalism and globalism, all right? And it even gets into this issue of racism. So let me read it. Here it is, quote, But for many, the crowning moment of vision was undoubtedly reached when Mr. Aldous, he was the one who put on the conference, invited a Chinese Christian, Watchman Nee, to lead us in prayer. We had just been hearing of the war havoc and of the unspeakable sufferings in China. The opportunity to unite in prayer was accordingly eagerly welcomed. Now, I'm going to stop because I want to give context In 1937, there was what is called the Sino-Japanese War, and that was a war, it was a vicious war between Japan and China, and it took millions of lives, Jeffrey, millions, and I'm talking about civilians. So there was bad blood between the Japanese and the Chinese, all right? Not only racial tension, but they were at war with one another. OK, yeah. so Watchman Nee is asked to say this prayer because in 1939, the war was still going on and casualties were being made on both sides. Anyway, I'm going to continue the quote. No one who is privileged to be present can forget these moments for the very spirit of our Lord himself breathed through that prayer. Talking about Watchman Nee's prayer. And um, I've read reports from other people who were present and they said it was an unforgettable moment when they heard this prayer. So I'm going to read it to us here in the year 2020 (laughs) because it's such a great illustration when it comes down to the gospel of the kingdom. It's a great illustration of how that gospel cannot be reconciled with either nationalism or globalism. And here it is, Watchman Nee's prayer, quote, the Lord reigns. He is reigning and he is Lord of all. Nothing can touch his authority. It is the spiritual forces that are out to destroy the interests of the Lord in China and in Japan. We do not pray for Japan. We do not pray for China. 
we pray for the interests of your son in China and in Japan. Mm. We do not blame any man. Hallelujah. We do not blame any men. They're only tools in the hand of the enemy of the Lord. Yes. Lord, we stand in your will. Lord, shatter the kingdom of darkness. Mm. Lord, the persecution of your church is persecuting you. End of quote. And then the transcript continues. So he prayed, and every heart amongst us was united in the spirit to say amen and amen. How deeply moved and glad must every missionary and helper who had wrought in the work of China have been. How truly these men and women have learned Christ. Now, here's the point. Watchman Nee was a Chinaman. He was from China. He lived in China. And his prayer exceeded that of the Chinese people. Amen. He was not praying for Japan, and he was not praying for China. He was praying for the interests of the kingdom of God. And that brings me to answer the question, what is wrong with nationalism, and why does it contradict the gospel of the kingdom? Nationalism is allegiance to the state and its government. Hmm. It's identification with one's own nation and its governmental interests, especially to the exclusion of the interests of other nations. Yep. So a nationalist will support his country when it goes to war with another country, even though some of the victims of that war will be fellow members of the body of Christ in other nations. National supremacy, therefore, is an idol. It ignores the fact that the kingdom of God is a trans-territorial, trans-local reality that is not part of the world, mm. that is not part of any empire, and its citizens in it live in every country on the face of the earth. Amen. Now, Jeffrey, this is where it gets confusing. People will say, I love my country. And I have to ask this, what do you mean by that? How are you using the word love? I love baseball and apple pie. All right. But I love it, meaning I appreciate it. I enjoy it. I'm grateful for it. But man, I can live without both. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and I will not die for either. Apple pie doesn't have my allegiance in any way, shape, or form. The same with baseball, as much as I like baseball. Amen. So let me ask this. When a person says, I love my country, do you mean... You love the governmental officials. Do you love all of them? Some of them? How much do you love them? Or do you mean you love New York City or California or Washington or Florida or all 50 states? If you live in the U.S., that is, right? In what way do you love them? Do you mean you love the people of your own country? Do you have an allegiance to them over against people in other countries? Mm -hmm. Do you love them more than your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ who live in Iran or Iraq or Afghanistan or China or Japan or India or Israel or North Korea or Africa? Or do you mean you love the American lifestyle? And so when people say, I love my country, what do you mean? And what are the ramifications of that? Those who give their allegiance to Jesus Christ and his kingdom renounce nationalism. We, we can appreciate our country, but our loyalty lies with the kingdom of God and not to the nation state. 
And that's easy to say, Jeffrey, until it's tested. That's right. And it's tested when someone calls out the ramifications or when the empire's interest, the nation state's interest, conflict with the interests of the kingdom of God. Amen. Those who are part of the insurgents speak more about loyalty to God's kingdom than we do the nation state, no matter what it is. And our lives reflect that. So that's my opening on nationalism. What say you, Denzel? Well, first of all, man, I love you. Oh, God, I love you, brother, man. I mean, like the prayer from Watchman Nee, your words behind that, man, is so, so true, so powerful. And it just resonates in my heart even more when Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself and pick up his cross. And then, only then, can he follow me. I'm going to come at it like this then. With me, as when I have to fill out an application or something, I would be called an African-American. And there's a, a, uh, a theme or a doctrine or whatever you want to call it, even lifestyle, called black nationalism. And that's looking out for the interests of black people above and uh, beyond those of any other race based upon the 400 plus years of oppression and marginalization of black people in America and throughout the world. And it's very strong and it's heard in a lot of pulpits. And it's something that I get pushed back on because I don't adhere to it because of what you just said, Jesus, the kingdom of God supersedes all of that. So there's this piece that I use the term African-American community that we have to look out for our own and that if you're not doing this, then you're not a real brother Mm -hmm. and you're an Uncle Tom or you're a traitor. But I would prefer to be a traitor of any human philosophy than to be a traitor of the kingdom of Mm. God. Because the kingdom of God supersedes everything. And I get pushback from a lot of black pastors and Christians. And this was the thing that really challenged me when it came to, you know, people saying you have to vote in the interests of black people. And I said, well, the assumption in that statement is even just voting because you shared with me a brother that's a part of the insurgents who just brought up the notion, hey, I don't vote in the Russian election because I'm not a citizen of Russia. Since my citizenship is in heaven, not saying that do or do not have to vote. And that was just that person's perspective of voting. But it challenged me. And how that challenged me is that in black America, if you want to use that term, it's given that you should do that because of blood that people bled for the right to vote. And so when I come with that proposition and just say that in a church fellowship, if you will, it's so quiet, you can hear a mice licking ice. (laughs) Because people look at me and say, what are you saying? You're a traitor. And I says, no. And that's when the Lord gave me a couple years ago, I was prayer walking and the Holy Spirit just said in my heart, when Jesus went to the cross, Herod was still over the Jews. Pilate was still the governor in Israel. And Caesar was still on the throne in Rome. And 
What Jesus did, he didn't have a march on Rome. He didn't have a march on Jerusalem. He came and did the Father's will and rose after three days. And the church was birthed 50 days later. And those same people were still in their political power Mm -hmm. because the kingdom of God, and we see that in Acts, the 15 different ethnicities that are there, it supersedes all Mm -hmm. that. And so when nationalism, when you put your country, your race, your creed, your ethnicity above the interests of the kingdom of God, that's idolatry. And so, you know, again, I would rather be a traitor to that than to be a traitor to black nationalism, United States nationalism. And also what I love what you said is what do you mean when you say love? Do you love all 50 states or do you just love your state? Or do you love this one? You know, I th- I thought about when you said, "Is that supersede a brother in Christ in Iraq or Iran?" And you know, I was in the military, so when I see bombs being dropped in those countries, and I read the stories of believers who are refugees and suffering from that, my heart goes out for them. And it's like, you know, you have to make a choice. Mm. You know, you have to make a choice. So yes, that's why the gospel of the kingdom. As the question said, is nationalism is challenged by that, and nationalism is contrary to the gospel of the kingdom. And we got to decide where we're going to plant our flag at and mm. then stand for it. And my flag is planted in the kingdom of God, and I'm not moving from it, and I'm staying right there because that's what the insurgency is about. And when you say that, Frankie V, it reminds me in the book when you said, when the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached, it sounds like treason. Mm. Oh, man, I appreciate that so much. And I have traveled all over the world. I'm thankful that I'm in America. But you know what? My allegiance is to the kingdom of God. And I can thrive if I were in another country, whether that country had capitalism, socialism, communism, citizens of God's kingdom will thrive wherever they are. And our hope is not in the empire, whatever it may be. So really, it's a question of allegiance. Now, sometimes people will bring up Paul's citizenship to Rome as a defense for nationalism. And, you know, Jeffrey, that's just an incredibly weak argument. Mm -hmm. Paul made very clear that his citizenship and his allegiance was in the heavenly realm, in the kingdom of God. This is very clear from Philippians chapter 3, the whole chapter, when he starts out talking about his credentials as an Israelite. And then he goes on talking about citizenship. Now, Paul's citizenship in Rome meant precious little to him, and he only invoked it when it would help him spread the gospel of the kingdom. Amen as was the case when he was imprisoned. He appealed to his Roman citizenship with the hopes that he would be released and travel to help the kingdom communities he founded and also to keep preaching the kingdom of God. You mentioned pledging one's allegiance to a flag. And this brings up another issue that's related to nationalism that I've never talked about. Why is it, this is a question, and I'm going to riff on it a little bit. Why do many, if not most church sanctuaries in America have American flags in the building. Come on. If the purpose is not to mix Christianity with American nationalism, then what on earth is the purpose? I mean, think about it. We don't have American flags in our movie theaters. We don't have American flags in our restaurants. Why in a church building, a religious building that that professes to be about the gathering of Jesus followers, do we have an American flag? 
And I don't know of any theological defense for the presence of an American flag in a church building. I don't know that there is one. To me, it screams that allegiance to Jesus is mixed up with allegiance to the nation state of America, yeah. right? It's Constantinism all over again, where the state, the empire is mixed with yeah. the body of Christ, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we know where that all led. Now, ironically, some Christians who are violently adamant about the American flag being present in a church sanctuary, up front, of course, <laughs> at the same time, don't seem to care that that flag's not in theaters or restaurants. And so I just have to say, how is that not idolatry? How yeah. is it not idolatry to put an American flag on the same par with the bread and the cup of the Lord's table? Mm. To me, this just shows that for many Americans, Christianity is a civil religion, mm. and that runs contrary to the kingdom of God. I'm glad to live in America, let me tell you. I appreciate people who died for religious freedom, but I am blood kin with all my brothers and sisters in Christ Hallelujah. in all countries and all continents, even those countries that are enemies of the USA. Amen. They have the body of Christ living on that ground. They are part of God's kingdom, and it is to God's kingdom that our allegiance and our fierce devotion ought to be and to nothing else. Amen. Amen. I'm glad you brought that up because I've been in sanctuaries where they'll have flags of, of several different countries. The American flag always has to be to the far left because I, you know, that's whatever the rules. But, you know, and that idolatry. But, you know, when it comes to that piece of nationalism and tribalism, as you know, our fellowship adopted a village in Senegal, and we usually go there every year, and it's tribal there. People that are Christians have a hard time loving people from other tribes that historically were against their tribe. Even though they're Christians, their allegiance is still to this tribe that they came out of mm. than to Christ. And when you bring that up to them and share that with them, they give you that look like you're an alien off a spaceship. Like, how can you... Can you do that? So that idolatry comes in every form like that. And at the end of Sunday school, I watch and, you know, the church has, a, they have a tradition of they'll pledge allegiance to the Christian flag, which wow, I don't see a Christian flag in the Bible anywhere, by the way, and then pledge allegiance to the Bible. It's like, okay. And then pledge allegiance to the flag. And I would sit in Sunday school and just sit there in that context. People would ask me, why didn't you do that? I said, well, my allegiance is to Jesus. Mm. And fullness of the Godhead is in him. And so I don't need to pledge my allegiance to anyone else. I can only give my complete allegiance to him. I'm mm. not spreading it out. That to me is it's something that needs to be heard and it needs to be said because, as you were saying earlier, those messages in that 1939 conference, and I love that how you phrase that, the messages that you hear today aren't deep enough to drown a flea because it is so diluted today. The gospel of the kingdom of God is so diluted, not even preached. And again, I get back to the book. The book said when it's really preached, it sounds like treason. And that's so true. Oh, I appreciate those words, brother. And you're dead on. Well, that brings us to the next question. And right now, you know, all the globalists are cheering and applauding. Uh, <laughs> but the next question is, what is globalism and why is it contrary to the gospel of the kingdom? Let's talk about that. Globalism basically is the same as nationalism, but it's not relegated to an individual state. Amen. 
Globalism refers to the growth of the worldwide political system to solve the problems of the world. Mm-hmm. It, too, is an idol that many have put their trust and their hope in. Neither globalism nor nationalism have anything to do with the absolute surrender and allegiance to the lordship of Christ in the world. Both are human-driven agendas where the hopes and loyalties lie in either one nation-state, which is nationalism, or the many nation-states on the globe, which is globalism. Those who have embraced the gospel of the kingdom and are part of the insurgents recognize that our citizenship is in the kingdom of God. That is where their loyalty, allegiance, and love lies. The kingdom, as we said before, is a trans-territorial, trans-local reality, but it's not part of any nation-state on the globe, and it's also distinct from worldly governments. Now, I would say, too, in addition, that the spirit behind globalism, Jeffrey, is similar to what was happening during the building of the Tower of Babel. Amen. Amen. That's good. And the spirit of nationalism is similar to what ancient Israel became when she followed the pagan nations and elected to have a king and a strong military that she put her trust in, Hmm. which was rebellion against God who had different plans for her. Amen. You know, I wrote an article, which is part of the book, Insurgents. It's just on the website because we couldn't fit it in the book. But it's on the origin of governments and human hierarchy. And we learn from the scripture that the empire, the nation state, was never God's intention. And he also had a real big problem with the human effort to bring all the people together to try to solve all the world's problems, i.e. globalism at the Tower of Babel. And this is exactly what we face here today. And we have Christian people who are apoplectic, tearing into one another, some siding with nationalism, some siding with globalism. Mm -hmm. And brother, the gospel of the kingdom is left out in the cold, and very few Christians are even talking about it, let alone even know about it. Amen. My globalism, uh, if you want to say thesis statement, is God so loved the world, the people in that world, that he gave his only begotten son to redeem those people. I read that, the uh, the side article on the website, and so good, you, you quote what they call the Deuteronomy 32 and 8 worldview of how God turned the other nations over to uh, other spirit beings who rebelled against him. And we see that in Daniel 10. You know, in reference to the Prince of Persia and the Prince of Greece, which are spiritual entities over those nations. To me, if you understand and the Lord reveals to you his eternal purpose and the mystery of the gospel and his purpose for humanity, then that's where my allegiance is, is in seeing the Lord build his bride, redeeming those that he chose in Christ before the foundation of the world whether they be American, whether they be French, whether they be you know South American or whoever, they're part of his bride, which we're a part of. And what I love is in Revelation, that bride comes from heaven. So it's built with, with heavenly materials, and it, it's not in this realm, but it's it comes from the heavenly realm. And like when you said, when I read globalists, I think of like the Council on Foreign Relations or even right. the United Nations. Yes. Mm-hmm. They try to make these global policies, you know, the World Bank, uh, International Monetary Fund, all these things to, you know, for the betterment of the whole world. But to me, my perspective of that, Brother Frankie V, is that's eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
I just prefer my diet to be from the tree of life and the kingdom of God, because that's man trying to make the world a better place according to his human knowledge. And I love the reference. I never thought about that before. I love your reference to the Tower of Babel, which in the book Insurgents, you know, you bring out that in Genesis 10, I believe it is, uh, with Nimrod, that word kingdom, that's used the first time in the Bible, you know, there. And that's man trying to make a name for himself yeah. you know, and building and the audacity. We're going to invade heaven, literally. You know, the audacity of that and the arrogance of that. And that's what that is. And that's why the gospel of the kingdom and insurgency is contrary to globalism, because globalism does not have the interests or the heart, if you will, of God, the eternal purpose of God at the forefront, but it has man's purposes at the forefront, and that's eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Perfect. I just want to come back and remind our listeners what Jesus said. He said, my kingdom is not from this world. My kingdom is not of this world. In other words, it's not part of the nation state. Yeah. It's not part of any empire, and neither is it part of a conglomeration of nation states and a network of empires. Amen. Jesus Christ was not a social activist. He was not a political reformer. He knew very well, like all of us will find out if we live long enough, that to try to change the world system is polishing the iron on the Titanic, right? Wow. He was instead laser focused on one thing, and that is creating a new civilization in the midst Amen. of the political system, Amen. in the midst of the political system of Rome, and the religious system of Jerusalem. And that's what the kingdom of God is. It's an alternative civilization. It's not trying to make the world a better place. It's to be the better place Amen. in a fallen world that is always going to be corrupt. Sure, we can make changes here and there. I'm all for great changes. I'm all for good changes in the world in which I live, okay? I don't think anybody's gonna disagree with that. But brother and sister, to put your energy and your focus on that and to ignore the new civilization that is the kingdom of God is basically to try to change the world system by means of the world system. That's right. And this is not what Jesus Christ is up to. He's never been up to that. Again, we elaborate on all of this elsewhere, but I hope this is putting it clear enough where God's people will step back no longer get sucked into the narratives that are prevalent right now on social media and in the news media, but will say, okay, where is the gospel of the kingdom? What is the gospel of the kingdom? And what is this alternative civilization that Jesus came to bring? And how can I be part of it, right? And I, that really is where the focus must be. Now let's move on to the next question. Boy, this is a <laughs> this is a good one. And I think I'm going to take them both at the same time. And I really want to hear your thoughts on this as well, Jeffrey. All right, so number three, why would the gospel of the kingdom anger the progressive left since they are for the least of these and the poor? And the next one is, why would it upset the conservative right since the kingdom message calls for repentance from immorality, abortion, and other sins like them? Okay, instead of me answering this question using my own words, which I have already done in Insurgents and some of the previous podcasts on this show, I want to read a testimonial from someone who used to identify themselves with the progressive left, 
And then I want to follow it with a testimonial from someone who used to identify with the conservative right. And I think their testimonials will answer the question very clearly. Now, as you know, we do have testimonials from people on both sides and even other sides in the book Insurgents, but these are new, right? These are fresh. They don't appear in the book. All right, so here it is. This is someone who used to be part of the progressive left. Quote, I'm a 29-year-old who used to be part of the political left and the theological left. After reading your book, Insurgents, I had a personal crisis. I realized that while we on the left were championing the poor and the oppressed and would speak out against injustice wherever we found it, we were ignoring personal sin and excusing immorality. For example, we would engage in social activism for people's rights but at the same time, excuse premarital sex, which is fornication, a sin in the Bible. We would excuse the killing of innocent infants. We'd just say we have to root out economic injustice and racism first, but that begs the question and ignores the sin of abortion. We would excuse other kinds of sexual immorality, too, that go against God's idea for marriage in the Bible. I also realized that I was programmed to blame somebody else for my own problems. I didn't take personal responsibility. There was always someone else to blame. There was always a corporation to blame. There was always a people to blame. And I realized that this blaming was keeping me in a state of not taking personal responsibility. I realized that the Lord wants us all to take responsibility for ourselves and our problems. There was a general ethos that God is not concerned with what we did behind closed doors. He's only concerned about systemic problems. But that is a warped view of the Bible. It's picking and choosing, like you've said on the podcast. Mm -hmm. My conservative friends ignore many of the things that those on the left are passionate about, I feel, but we have done the same with them. Now I see that the gospel of the kingdom solves all of this and cannot be put in the left or the right categories, either theologically or politically. Now I understand why it upsets both sides. All right. Now, no one gets out of here alive. So here's a, a quote from someone on the conservative right. Quote, I realized that America is not just a country. It's also a lifestyle and an ideology. That's similar to a religion, a religion I used to worship without realizing it. America has its own sacred writings. He puts in parenthesis the Constitution. It has its own founding fathers. It has its own future vision. Mm. It has its own hymns. It has its own benedictions and its special values like independence, which runs contrary to the gospel and the principle of the body of Christ. Amen. Much of what America stands for, pledging allegiance to it as a nation, going to war to bring our way of life to other countries, cannot be reconciled with the teachings of Jesus. You and John Nugent opened my eyes when you talked on the podcast about how America cannot be compared to ancient Israel. The criteria God used to judge nations was an eye-opener. America fits that same pattern. Mm. We don't realize it, but many Christian Americans worship capitalism just as those on the left worship socialism. And this is contrary to the gospel of the kingdom. 
So that's how I would answer that question about why the gospel of the kingdom would upset both the progressive left as a category, as a construct, and the conservative right as a category and as a construct. What say you, Denzel? I'm going to use another Denzel quote to kind of jump into this. Denzel said, you got to be who you are in this world, no matter what. And so for me, in the Lord, that's who I am. My identity is in Christ Jesus. It's in the kingdom of God. And I always say, when you know who you are, you can go far in Christ. It's interesting to me because in my lifetime, I've been on both sides of those equations and have personal experience with both. So on the progressive left side, if you will, since this is like June 14th, 2020, I had a conversation earlier this past week with, I'll use this term, African-American pastors, and they were talking about publicly going out and supporting the capital B, capital L, capital M, Black Lives Matters movement. And I said, well, have you guys read and researched the history of that? And like, no. I says, well, you need to understand that the three women that founded that, a part of their mission statement is that they want to exclude the church, you know, if you will. And I said, so I cannot support something that unless I can address those, as you said, the person said, those personal sins. I can't stand. I'm not in solidarity with that. It goes against the principles of the kingdom of God. And, you know, in Genesis 1, it says that God made them both. He made male and female. He defines us. So I can't with that. And so the brothers started saying to me, Jeffrey, you have to stop being so narrow-minded and overlook some things for a bigger cause. And I said, that's exactly what I'm doing. The bigger cause is the kingdom of God. (laughs) So you got to be who you are in this world, no matter what, you know, no matter what the pressure or the opposition, because if you're going to take a stand for the kingdom of God, you are not going to fit in the progressive left. And then now I get to when I was in the conservative right piece. And that piece that I saw in that was so individualistic. Jesus is my personal savior. And mm-hmm. I would say, you know, I, I don't read in the Gospels what Jesus said, accept me as personal savior. I did a little bit more research and found out, well, that was a phenomenon like in the, the tent crusades, if you will, in America. And then this brother I used to have these conversations with, well, it was when I worked at the rescue mission. And he would say, you know, well, we have to get back to the foundations of America as a Judeo-Christian country. I would say to him, brother, really? Do you believe that? Like, your first president owned 123 slaves. That's Judeo-Christian? You know, God helps those who help themselves. And I said, that's not in the Bible. You know, Mm -hmm. and it was just this so individualistic gospel and that capitalism was God's economy. And I said, well, I don't think communism socialism or capitalism Mm. was God's economy. The economy was the ecclesia, and they were interdependent upon one another in the Lord. Again, the gospel of the kingdom is contrary to the conservative right, and it's contrary to the progressive left. And I know, because again, like I said, I spent some time in both of those, and I would see the disconnect with the scriptures. And I love how you said that, Frankie V, the narrative. We're seeing those narratives on social media. I believe that as kingdom people, as insurgents, we have to come with the narrative of the gospel of the kingdom of God, that we have to stand on that narrative and we have to allow the Lord to use us to be the influence of that narrative 
and to challenge when we can. I don't do that a lot on social media because I don't see disagreements, arguments being resolved you know, at a computer. Right. But That's what right. I have seen that done is like with the brother at the rescue mission, he and I over a three year period and it took humbling of myself, humbling of himself and us having conversations every day over lunch, praying together and just, you know, allowing the Holy Spirit to challenge us both. We're brothers in Christ closer to this day. Mm. And he actually bought the book Insurgent and, you know, he read it and it challenged a lot of his views. And, you know, I would love to end it with a nice bow at the end of the story, because I would say, you know, bro, you got to preach that at, at the church. He's a pastor. You got to preach that. He looked at me and he literally had a tear in his eye. And he said, brother, if I preach that, they'll fire me. Oh, wow. Now, I left it alone. I knew the Holy Spirit was dealing with him on that. And I didn't sense in my spiritual instincts it was for me to push it. He already knew, you know, that he was compromising in that piece, and he had put all his dependence on the income that he received from that church, and he understood that. I love him, and I pray for him, and when he calls today, I'm not at the mission. You know, we conversate, and I just listen, but I know that he knows in his heart, and, you know, I just pray that in the Holy Spirit's time that he'll respond and he'll repent of that. But that's the challenge because with a lot of leaders— is their income and their source of life, they're depending on pleasing the people that are sitting in front of them as opposed to pleasing the Lord. And mm -hmm. we all have to make that choice. We have to do choose this day, as Joshua said, who you're going to serve. And in Deuteronomy, he says, I set before you life and I set before you death. I advise you to choose life. But we mm -hmm. all have to make that choice. And being an insurgent is making the choice to stand for the kingdom of God no matter what. So I'll close on the same Denzel quote. You got to be who you are in this world no matter what. And you got to be who God's made you. And you have to have the convictions to stand upon your convictions no matter what, especially when it comes to being insurgents and being in the kingdom of God because Jesus standing on those convictions, he went to the cross. Peter went to the cross, all the disciples, Paul, and throughout the history. And you bring that out in the book. My dad used to say, just talking about it in a different way, if there's not something that you're living to die for, then you're not living. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the body of Christ certainly does have an identity crisis because Amen. we're finding our identities in these constructs that yes. the world has given us, or even what we may be biologically or our culture or yes. our roots. When in fact, the identity that we have been given when we are baptized and we pledge allegiance to the kingdom of God is the identity of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And that trumps every other identity. Amen. It really does. One of the things I took away from your story about that pastor that encourages me is the fact that he had a tear in his eye and said, yeah. if I preach this, I'll get fired, tells me that he understood the message of the book. Yes, yes. And yes. that, to me, is a blessing because so often we can filter what we hear through our own lens, our own religious or political lens, and sort of pick and choose what we want to believe based on what reinforces the narrative we've already bought into. And when that happens, we've missed the message. As we've said on other episodes, man, it just upended everything. It disrupted everything. You know, I got the message. That's what the message does. 
And you have to remember that Jesus was put to death by both sides. He was put to death by the progressive left in his day, which I've talked about on this podcast before. He was put to death by the conservative right of his day. You know, he did not fit into either category, folks. And those of you who are maybe new to the podcast and you haven't clicked off and renounced it, you may want to go back and listen to Denzel and I talk about identity politics. We did an episode on that. We did an episode on culture. Mm-hmm. We did an episode on racism. We did an episode on the political system, actually several. And so all of what we're talking about, I think we're saying it in different ways, yes. but yes. it can be filled in and expanded through those other episodes, which I encourage people, if any of this resonates at all, please go back and listen to the ground we've covered in the past. Because again, all these episodes build on one another. The more that the Lord reveals of it, the more that I interact with even current events in this world, the more the Holy Spirit unveils in my own heart that has to be turned over to the Lord so that Christ could be formed in there. You said in the book, it takes a pound of flesh and a pint of blood, something to that effect. It truly truly challenges you. It truly makes you sit and reflect. When you said, you know, your identity, you really start seeing who we are in Christ. And the words of John just resonate with me more. Like, we don't know, I'm paraphrasing, what we'll look like, but when he appears, you know, we'll be just like him. And then in Colossians, when it says, when Christ appears, who is our corporate, our life, and that how much more he is my life. And just lastly, on a funny note, one of those places contacted me once that said, we can trace your DNA and you can find your family. <laughs> and I was like, I have to find that. It's in Ephesians chapter one. I was chosen in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the Amen. world. I'm going to get all that information when I see him face to face. That's awesome. No, I agree with you, brother. And, and we've said it here before. You know, the gospel, the kingdom, there's that crisis moment where it devastates and destroys And then it brings you into that glorious new reality. But it's an ongoing searching, you know, for all of us, myself included. You know, the Lord is always shining his light in areas of our life that are not aligning with that gospel. It's a journey. You know, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. But there has to be that beginning point. You know, one of the reasons why I put out this podcast and took the time to do it, I don't get paid for this. This is precious time because I have a fire burning in my belly to unleash that gospel into the world, to bring it to as many people as possible, and to see more and more people come into the insurgents, that restoration of that explosive gospel of the kingdom. And I believe, Jeffrey, that the world is dying Mm. for men and women who are burning. Hallelujah. Not for a cause. However noble that cause may be, and there's lots of noble causes, okay? Don't get me wrong. I stand with any good cause, I stand with it, okay? But not for a cause. They're not burning for a cause, but for a person and his kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And thankfully, we have a group of them who we personally know who are on fire. Yeah. Of people who are fiercely devoted to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Now, that brings us to the last question. And it is this. I'm seeing a lot of hatred coming from Christians, the same as people in the world over politics and social issues. And I will just insert myself saying also theological issues and doctrinal disagreements. And I am appalled by the hatred. Can you speak to this? 
you know, this reminds me of a quote by a woman who said, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. <laughs> it's the truth. Here's the thing. Right now, the names will change later on if you're hearing this in the year 2059. For example, the names will be changed, just insert new names. But right now, in this moment, we are seeing blistering hatred, seething hatred, venom spewing against President Donald Trump, mm -hmm. against Nancy Pelosi. We are seeing this blistering hatred against Barack Obama. We're seeing this hatred toward the looters. We are seeing this hatred toward protesters. We are seeing this hatred toward police. We are seeing hatred toward people who are trying to affect social change. Man, the hatred goes everywhere. And here's the thing. If you are a person who professes Jesus Christ, you say you're a Christian, hatred is in direct conflict with the Spirit of Christ who said, love your enemies. The kingdom constitution, Matthew 5 to 7 what good is it if you love all the same people who agree with you, who you like personally? You're no different than the pagans. I agree with this person who asked this. I'm appalled as well. Now, I'm, I'm someone who is allergic to the culture of outrage that we're living in today. Everybody's outraged by everything, right? Unfortunately, I made a statement years ago when I wrote God's Favorite Place on Earth, which I wish every Christian would read. I made the statement that Christians are the most easily offended people on the planet when they should be the least offended. Even so, the hatred coming from Christians is no different than what's coming out of the unbelieving world. Amen. We do not, as a people, I'm talking about all Christians now, people who profess Jesus, we do not stand apart. The talking points are all the same, and the venom spewing is all the same. It really grieves the Lord, Jeffrey. I really yeah. believe that. It grieves the Lord, and there's no empathy anywhere. Everybody picks a side, yeah. and it's motivated by you know which politician I hate, which person who's part of a certain group that I hate, and you cannot reconcile hatred with Jesus Christ. You just can't do it. Amen. You can disagree with something that someone does, but the spirit of hatred that's seething behind it, yeah. that is not of God, period. I told you off air, and I'll say it now, is... Um... I find myself more and more like just kind of skimming through, you know, Twitter or Facebook even or Instagram, just kind of skimming the venom that is between believers. There's a, a, a couple of believers that, that I know. They send me some stuff all the time and, uh, you know, I'll listen to it. But it amazes me that all the people that they listen to that are Christians, if you will, they're all promoting a political party and the political party's ideas, and they're trying to synthesize them with Christ. Like they're one. And I just sit back and I look at it. And when I have just said, hey, you know, I, I really don't agree with that, but, you know, I love you. It's kind of like I'm praying for you, brother, brother Jeffrey. This verse had came to me a couple of months ago in Mark 12 and 29. 31, a scribe approached Jesus and said, what command is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other command greater than these. And so I would just paraphrase and put in for the second command. I want to love my neighbor with all my heart, love my neighbor with all my soul, love my neighbor with all my mind and love my neighbor with all my strength. And that mind part, what the Holy Spirit had to do for me was first kind of show me as far as with this particular couple of people was that they really weren't being malicious. They really, they really believed that and they meant well. They were just misguided, if you will, and not, not had heard the truth. And then there are people who are malicious. Again, I'm going to love them by praying for them. But it really does hurt when you see in the body of Jesus Christ, you know, you brought it about in your book, God's Favorite Place on Earth, but I also, in From Eternity to Here, and the Lord had you say something in that. You said, Jesus said, tells this man, follow me. And then he says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. And I've read that millions of times, but the revelation you brought out in that was Christ is the head of the church and he doesn't get to rest his head in the body where mm -hmm. he could be the head. And so he always slept, you know, a couple miles outside Jerusalem, you know, at Bethany, where he was welcomed. The gospel of the kingdom of God is Christ being head over his body, the ecclesia. He's the head and giving him that place to rest as the head. And since his nature is love, God is love, then for me to hate, I'm not allowing Christ to mm -hmm. rest his head in my life. I'm not doing that mm -hmm. for me to hate, you know? And when I feel, and this is where even in these times, June 14th, 2020, it's a challenge. That's why I say with the kingdom of God, the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God, it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. Because I was raised in an environment where both my parents were born in South Carolina. And I've heard the stories. I've heard all these stories and I see all these things. And I love to read and I see history. But my love for Christ, him being head, resting in my life, has to supersede all those things. And since he said that, he gives us the ability, Philippians 2 and 13, that to will in us of his good pleasure. If I'm willing to submit to that. And so seeing that hatred and that vitriol that people are spewing at one another, it is not the Lord and it hurts me. Oh my goodness, it hurts and it, it's sad. And that's again, to piggyback on what you were just saying before, is that that fire, what the Lord's been helping me do is use my, for lack of a better term, if I could say righteous indignation of that hatred that I see chopping Christ up, to let that fire, the gospel, the kingdom of God burn even the more in me. That's why I enjoy and love doing these podcasts, to be able to share that message, to be able to go wherever I can to share that message, to share the narrative of the gospel of the kingdom mm -hmm. of God, because that's the narrative that supersedes every other narrative. And the Holy Spirit can take that. And if people are open to it, it can open their eyes and transform their lives. And so that's my prayer. I pray every day for the body of Jesus Christ. And you also said that in From Eternity to Here, that it's literally like taking a sword to the body of Christ and chopping it up. And it also caused me to, you know, lament back in a time early in my walk with the Lord, especially before I was exposed to the gospel of the kingdom of God, where I did the same thing.
You know, I did the exact same thing. The spiritual surgery, the tool of love in the hands of the Holy Spirit, the scalpel of love in the hands of the Holy Spirit can transform us even more into the new creation that he's called us to be. Well said, my brother. Those of you who are listening, uh, if you're new to the podcast, there is an episode on the podcast called Denzel Preaches the Gospel of the Kingdom. And uh, that's where you, Jeffrey, unleash that gospel. And I would encourage all of our listeners to hear that message from beginning to end. The other thing is America is in crisis right now. We're recording this podcast. And crisis exposes our hearts and what we really believe. Oh, yes, yes. I'm going to run that by again. Crisis exposes our hearts and what we really believe. And you and I, Brother Denzel, you know, I'm an Italian. I'm a third generation American Italian, Italian American. I don't know what you put first. (laughs) And uh, you are an African American. And here we are. We are one family. We are one people. We are part of the new humanity. We are part of the one race, Mm. the third race. Third race. Not Jew or Gentile, not black or white, not Latin or Asian. We are part of the third race, the new species in Christ. Mm. And that's because we both have embraced the gospel of the kingdom. And when we embrace the gospel of the kingdom... All the world can be in chaos and outrage with one another, but the gospel of the kingdom brings unity and oneness among those who receive it. And it is the hope of this world. It is the hope, the only hope. And the gospel of the kingdom, just to sum up, it rejects nationalism and globalism as a construct. It doesn't align itself with the progressive left or the conservative right. It rejects capitalism, socialism, communism, and any other ism you want to throw in there as idols. As I put it in the book Insurgents, quote, if you live in the West, the two main idols or false gods are nationalism and capitalism. Yes. I live in America, and these two idols have this nation in its grip. Mm. People kill, sacrifice, and die for these idols. Anything is justified for love of country, nationalism, and love of money, capitalism. And this mindset has even bled into the Christian community. The teachings of Jesus are ignored or diluted in the name of these two false gods. In the USA, there's a real strong spirit of nationalism, especially if you're over 40 years old. Then if you're under 40, there's a strong spirit of globalism. Mm. Make no mistake. Both nationalism and globalism are at variance with the kingdom of God because both pledge one's allegiance to the kingdoms of this world. According to the scripture, you're a citizen of another kingdom. Your citizenship is in the heavens. Hallelujah. And your complete allegiance belongs there as well. The major idols or false gods in the East are education and business on the one hand or socialism and communism on the other. Scores of people cannot think beyond those things, but the insurgents obliterates all idols. End of quote. And now, brother, let me just be clear. 
you can believe that capitalism is the best economic system for a fallen world. You can believe that socialism is. You can believe that communism is. You can align yourselves with certain values on the progressive left. You can align yourselves with certain values on the conservative right. The issue is your allegiance, your passion, your hope, and yeah. who you identify with. That's the issue. And what we're seeing now is crisis is exposing people's hearts and yeah. what they really believe. Amen. Amen. Well, I think we've gone long enough. Let me end this by encouraging everyone who's listening. Always look at the show notes because the show notes, which should appear on every podcast app you're using, contain links to articles, to the books, to other resources that we mention on the podcast. And one of the things I'm going to put in the show notes to this episode are not only the books and the articles we mentioned, but a few other articles that are pertinent. One is called Race, Riots, and the Gospel of the Kingdom. Another one is called A Jesus Response to the Race Problem. And another one, if you haven't gotten it yet, is the Survival Guide for the Virus Crisis. One week, you really talked about empathy. Yeah, all those, all those links. Yeah, that's still resonating with me. I, I'm still with the empathy piece. That really is, is important right now. I like that. Crisis reveals what's really in us. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Well, praise the Lord. Well, it's an honor to have you on, my friend. Jeesh, we have done so many episodes together. I'm happy to be back a part of the Insurgents podcast, and uh, I'm going to be sharing today's when it comes out with the same people I shared before and even more. It seems like my uh, territory is expanding a little bit more. I'm always uh, available. I enjoy chopping it up with you. I miss the face-to-face. -face. I miss you. And when I do see you, I'm just going to let you know right off the top. I'm not going to practice social distance when I preach. <laughs> right. so I will be wearing, I'll wear a mask, right? but I got at least elbow you or something. But I miss <laughs> and I love you, brother. I love really you love too. you. Love you too, man. And I'm all for it. I'm all for breaking the, uh, the regulation. We'll just take that scripture where we can walk on scorpions and snakes and not be hurt. <laughs> we'll just apply it for uh, a Christian frontal hug not the side hug but the frontal bear hug if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the insurgents podcast and give it a five-star review on itunes this will help others find it also you can join frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement challenges and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.